welcome to the November 2012 edition of Ordinary Means, uh, the podcast where a couple of ordinary guys call you back to the ordinary means of grace, God's Word, sacraments, and prayer. Uh, well, today I'm here, as always, your host, Sean Nolan, with Matt Bowling. Sean. Hi, Matt. Now, this is where we act like we haven't already been talking to each other for an hour. <laughs> We're not acting very well, have we? We're not. We're not acting. We're not doing it very well, are we? No. Well, that's what makes this such a great podcast. This is why all four of those people listen to us is because it's so down to earth. Absolutely. This is we not. Never get called high and mighty, which is good. <laughs> which Excellent. is a good thing. Yes, we're not, brother. We are not professionals. Absolutely. Well, hey, we're going to talk today, um, or maybe we're going to suffer you to listen to us talk about suffering. Uh, this is something that I think, uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have experienced suffering uh, either for your faith or uh, perhaps a, a physical suffering that the Lord has brought into your life in which he has increased your faith. I, anytime, I, Matt, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, every time that I talk to a mature believer, you know, one of those people in your congregation that just exudes, I love Jesus and nothing else matters to me. You talk to them and you talk to them about their suffering. Mm-hmm. And there is this there is this joy that the Lord did. You know, they'll say that to you. They'll say, the Lord did this through that time in my life, through that event. Uh, I learned so much when God brought this into my life. and it And it takes us back to uh, James 3, mm-hmm. where James says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Now, on on one hand, that's, that's wonderful. It's a promise. It's a, uh, it's a trust that says God is bigger than my problems. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, that's a lot easier said than done. It is. It is a lot easier said than done. So, and it, why do you why do you think it's easier said than done for Americans, particularly? Well, I think we've been fed a lie. Uh, Which is, okay. I, I think we've been fed a lie in American Christianity. Like the comment, I think we both quote James. I think it was James Boyce who said, "You, you become the gospel you've believed." Mm-hmm. And I think very powerful quote. A very powerful when you begin to see that the the context uh, in which you have received the gospel the the clothing that mm-hmm. the gospel you have received wears is the clothing that you begin to wear so if as a disciple it's the form of your discipleship yes so if you come yeah. through kind of a, a legalistic gospel you know where maybe you're in a church that's really promoting um the traditions of men uh, even good traditions of men, things like baptism and church membership, but they but they really hammer on that. Uh, you know, if that's the it's context that makes us right and other Christians wrong, things like that's the yes. angle. Well, we all believe in Sean and I believe in baptism, and church membership. Yes, but that's more the texture of this is what's better about our church than all other churches. That kind of legalism. Yeah, that's why I'm saying yeah. it's a, even good things, and often mm. often that's what legalism does is it takes good things and it makes them too good mm-hmm. <laughs> or too important. Is it somebody said um I think maybe it's Dave Paulison, but I heard it through Alfred Poyer, who's a pastor in Billings. He said, Good goods make bad gods. 
good goods make bad gods. We take something good but make it ultimate, and now it becomes a bad god. Yes. Okay, I get that. Yeah. I get that. That needs. So if 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 so, say a Christian has come into the faith, um, but the gospel they heard is that you know if you give Jesus a try, he'll make your life better. Yeah, and that's that's what we're getting at, isn't it? Right. That's the lie. Yeah. The the lie There's... of the lie is the lie of happiness. Okay. Um, you know, even down to are you saying are you saying that Christianity is an American that we shouldn't pursue happiness? <laughs> Uh, day, Sean, we're recording on election day. We are recording on election day, aren't we? So are um, you saying you don't believe in the pursuit of happiness? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> I am saying that. <laughs> now, now, John Piper, John Piper so might disagree with me. Yes. But I, I do think what we mean by happiness is not what God means by happiness. Absolutely. When, when we talk about happiness... As Christians, we mean our treasures in heaven. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is very clear. We are not to store up treasures on earth. We're not to find our happiness. What does he say at the end of that? At the end of Matthew 6, he says, Don't store up your your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where none of that happens. And then he says, Why? Because where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. And, and it's a great point, and it's it's a, a deep one, because the, the a lot of, I think, American Christians look at that, and they say, oh, I'm not one of the super wealthy. I'm not storing up treasure on earth. But yet, um, Sean and I, the reason we're talking about suffering in the ordinary means is that, uh, paradoxically, uh, at least to Sean and I, at least to me, maybe not to Sean, uh, both of us, um, are, we're similar age, we're in our early 40s, and... Um, we both have shoulder pain right now for different reasons. And so we're both undergoing suffering right now, physical bodily suffering. Um, Sean's gone through a lot more physical bodily, su- bodily suffering than I have over the years. But um, but this is the first significant one um, for me that's been long-term and not a catastrophic injury or something like that. Um, and I think that, that many Christians, I don't know if Sean would say this, certainly me, I have not reacted in all the ways I would like to have uh, in this particular instance of suffering. Um, and uh, part of that is because I, I r- really think that Sean's right. American Christians have bowed to a form of happiness. Um, but we really, we really believe the comfort idol. We really believe that the best life is the path of least resistance. And whether that path of least resistance um, involves um, ministry leadership or whether it involves our, our relationship with our wife or with our kids or with our coworkers um, or whether that involves our bodies or whether it involves our finances, uh, whether it involves um, how our church is doing, in all of those things, we believe more deeply than many other things that things going well and it being comfortable is the best that it can possibly be. And so when things don't go the way we'd like and we're experiencing discomfort, just discomfort, yeah. not the kind of suffering that we read about even in the New Testament, just discomfort, um, then um, we get really pissy 
and and we we don't react well. We feel like um, the people around us and the world around us is ripping us off. We deserve things to be easy and comfortable because that is the best, isn't it? Well, that's the that's the lie entitlement mm-hmm. the, the the that we deserve. <laughs> it's you know I think of the commercial. Uh, I can't even think of what it's for. I want to say it's for shampoo, where it's, it says something about because you deserve it or or because you're worth it. Mm-hmm. That that lie of entitlement that we are entitled to certain things that we um, this is we're we're recording on election day. Isn't that what's going on? The battle seems to be: Are we entitled to the government's money? You know, or are we not? <laughs> or are we supposed to make our own money? Okay, so you've got you've got one man running who wants to just give, give, give of the government's money, and you you have one man running who wants to say, no, I want to give you know people on in this country an opportunity to make money by their own efforts. You know, and which is right, and it depends on who you talk to, which right. is right. Yeah. Um, so, but neither is right if it comes with this sense of I deserve, uh, like you said just a minute ago, Matt, that we barely have suffered in this country. The suffering we go through, you know, it's funny, a lot of the suffering we go through is why it's because of our, um, it's because the way we've engaged in pleasure to an unruly extent. So, for example, um, we don't, we're not as active as we once were mm-hmm. as a culture. We mm-hmm. sit and watch TV a lot, and what happens? Our muscles atrophy. And so we have to, um, uh, you know, and so then we have to get surgeries and things like that because we're now, our muscles are atrophying and we're not getting exercise and we're not eating well and so now we're becoming obese. You know, so there's... We bring the suffering on ourselves in some ways. Yeah, we're, that's what I'm saying is we're, we're yeah. bringing the suffering on ourselves. And we need to, uh, we need to step back. I'm trying to think of where this is in the scripture that we're to suffer for righteousness sake. We're, we're not to suffer because we're doing wrong. If we're suffering because we're doing wrong then it's just suffering right. and it's it's we're experiencing it because we deserve it because we've brought ourselves to this point you think of you know an extreme example would be david um who lost uh, who king david who lost a child because of um he had to pay the consequences of what he'd done wrong in committing adultery and committing murder right uh we whereas you know if even, I don't know, maybe even murderers today uh, have some sense of entitlement. I, w- I heard recently about a, a fellow who w- who commit a crime simply so he could go back to jail so that he would get three meals a day, access to weight equipment, and a place to stay. Some people, that's uh, that's what the best they can expect, which is, which is difficult. You know, and I think in that context... Um, the reason that this is something that pastorally concerns me about myself and my own discipleship 
um, is because I, I think as a leader in the church, uh, the people who um, Christ is ministering to through me, through my teaching ministry, through my shepherding, through my discipling, um, they can only go as far in their own discipleship um, as I am. That because there's no the scriptural pattern is that they can't go. The design is that that we lead them as church leaders into maturity. That's what Hebrews thirteen is talking about. That they look at the outcome that the people in our churches look at the outcome of our faith. They look at the outcome of our life and they are called to imitate our faith. So they see the gospel worked out deeply into our lives and widely across our lives, and they go, "Oh, that's that's the happy, blessed life following Jesus." All right, now how do I imitate that? That's the way it's scripturally it's supposed to work. So if I don't respond well uh, to suffering, whether it's you know relational or it's um, or it's bodily or or whatever it is, um, then my people don't have the opportunity to grow in that way either. Uh, and so it, it's a it's a crucial thing that we learn how to suffer well and, and to you know when you look at James and he said you know consider it pure joy. You know, it, it that's very odd to Americans who are used to um, having the comfort idol stroked by our prosperity, by the the forms of discipleship um, in our churches and things like that. And so, it's a very bizarre thing to most Americans. I just had the opportunity to preach this past Sunday on in Matthew's Gospel, chapter sixteen, where Jesus has just made the turn towards Jerusalem, and he says, I must go to Jerusalem. And he follows up that text with, you know, he rebukes Peter. And then he turns to all the disciples and he says, um, you know, I'm going to a cross, and you know what? You need to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, too. And for most Americans, we're rejecting and we're, we're upset about and we don't handle well the suffering that simply comes upon us. By being in broken bodies, by being around sinners, mm. much less choosing to take up suffering, mm. choosing to take up scorn and death. Yes. Which is, it, it says, it says, take up your cross, not, not receive that which comes upon you because you're a broken person living in a broken place around broken people. And so that makes life difficult in various ways. This is choosing daily discomfort. And when most of us have bowed to an idol that says the best life is the comfortable life, the, the anathema to that is choosing daily discomfort. And yet that's the call of discipleship. That's the form of it in Luke's gospel, 923. Pick up your cross daily. Pick up scorn, the possibility of death every day for mine's sake. That takes us beyond, you know, we started out talking a little bit about physical suffering. And I I, want to come back to this because I think we've seen, uh, I'm thinking of one mutual friend of ours that uh, had breast cancer. And and we just saw a wonderful testimony through her, uh, through her suffering physically. But yes. what you're saying now goes even beyond that. It goes into suffering uh, relationally. Mm-hmm. So the idea, and I think I, I think as pastors we strive to get this across, but so often we're blind to it. 
is okay. that if we're going to take up our cross, that means I am willing to go to these relationships in my life, family, friends, co-workers, and say to them, you need Jesus. The way, the way you are acting now is bringing the wrath of God upon you. You need, uh, you need a savior from your sin. And when we do that, many of those relationships are going to break. I came, Jesus says, not to bring peace, but a sword. Yeah. He told us that the gospel might divide families. He he might. You've you've got to hate mother and father if you're going to love me. Not because we're jerks. No. You've got to be willing to break with unbelievers. Jesus was not a jerk. And yet he was not able to maintain intact every relationship that he had. His family thought he was crazy. And we don't, we don't, I don't know much of that. No, we don't. Not in this, not in this culture where everything is taken care of. That if there, if there's a problem, uh, you know, the, the government steps in and takes care of it. I, I'm thinking of the, the buyout of GM Mm-hmm. And the airline bailout, mm-hmm. you know, we never had to suffer under. Yeah, I can't travel now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've gotten to the point where traveling is an inalienable right. Uh, same thing. I think I think we might have talked about this on a previous podcast. That apparently the internet, the UN has declared that the internet is an inalienable right. So. If I don't have internet, what's the next step? The government's going to buy me internet? Well, and I think, too, that you get it for wh- wherever you would, you know, stand in terms of the American healthcare system and all that kind of stuff. And well, well, yeah, there's health as well. Disagree. Lots of rooms to disagree. But even the concept that people have a right to health <laughs> is a refusal of the idea um, – of the fall. And it's not that, I mean, Presbyterians, Sean and I are both Presbyterian ministers. Presbyterians found at hospitals. You can find Presbyterian hospitals everywhere. And I'm not saying that we should not be interested in healthcare at all. I think that one of the things that was powerful about Jesus' ministry is that it was a ministry both in word and deed. We've talked about this in the podcast before, that this is one of the mistakes that was made by the church in the early part of the 20th century was to divorce word and deed. And that one of the things that needs to be happening is the bringing of those together again. So I'm not saying don't, don't, don't give us hate mail about you know, Matt doesn't like healthcare. Uh, Matt loves healthcare. I've been the wonderful recipient of it, even very recently. In uh, these last days, yes. In these last days of my life, yes. Pain pills are a wonderful thing. Um, but I think that the concept of um, healthcare being a right alerts us to the fact that we have believed the gospel of health. We mm. believe you don't have your health, you don't have anything. When when the 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 real gospel says, um, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything, mm-hmm. and Jesus may well give you some other stuff too. But if the real functional gospel, like the daily functional gospel that actually permeates your mind and forms the way that you think about life, if that functional daily gospel, small g, is that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Um, and and that, that comes into my mind sometimes, I have to be honest with you. Um, then 
what that means is that in a day that I don't feel well, and there's been a number of them in the last months where I have not felt well, um, then I can't be happy on that day. Because <laughs> I don't my health. And, um, wow. That, that's very arresting. I, I think the thing that suffering, it, Sean and I were talking about, you know, there's a lot of things you could talk about suffering and whether we had expected and embrace it and all those kinds of things. But I think one of the things that I found in the last couple of years where I've suffered more, um, um, both relationally, relationally, and then as a leader in the church, and then also physically. So just take those three forms. Um, it, is that I think that one of the things that suffering, how you can count up pure joy, if we go on to, to not just um, description but prescription, not just from diagnosis and analysis, but actually to how, how do the ordinary means help you uh, when you're in the midst of suffering. Uh, I think that in physical suffering, one of the things that has struck me is um, I, I'm not a you know gory movie kind of person. I don't like violence. Like I don't I don't watch movies with a lot of violence. I just don't enjoy it. So even um, teaching preaching on the violent, Jesus violent death is difficult for me um, because I'm just not um, I'm uh, very sensitive. Sorry, just the way I am. Um, but I'll tell you, when you suffer and you feel what it feels like to have real pain in your body, um, it makes you look at your Savior differently, who didn't know pain in eternity past, chose to create a world where he would have to take on the pain of rebels. Hmm. The pain of a broken place. And he made it. Knowing that that was going to be his choice. I'll tell you, that'll put your pain in context. That, that'll, that'll take you and it'll change the way that you look at things like, um, no one takes my life. I, I lay it down. I, I, I couldn't have understood that willingness of Jesus to take on pain, to face pain, to choose pain. I wouldn't have been pushed to think about that unless I was in real, genuine physical pain. I couldn't have understood that, that aspect of Jesus and of his ministry without being in real physical pain. Uh, and do you have a reaction to that? I'm the only one talking, Sean, so I'll shut up now. <laughs> No, I'm. I'm just. I'm listening, and I'm thinking. So you're saying that the cro- that taking up our cross, whether that cross is, um, we've we've covered a number of things here. We've covered uh, it's accepting the physical circumstances of this fallen world. That might be an aspect. Uh, it is the relational circumstances in which I'm engaged because I must speak about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more that. Yeah. Oh, well, no, no, that's what the cross is. When, he, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's, he is thinking more about the latter, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that following of him is nothing... You know, his apostles did that. All of them died. At least tradition says all but one of them, all but John who died on Patmos, uh, all, all but one of them died for their faith. 
Mm-hmm. If, if tradition is correct, that's, that's the case. But then Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, uh, to Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, uh, and my perseverance. Uh, so go and be happy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you followed these things, and you followed my persecutions and sufferings. Mm. Mm. So, so Paul, the great one who says, do as I do, as I do as Jesus did, this is your point a little bit earlier, I think, Matt, about leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, we can only take people as far as we've been. Well, what does God do as he matures us? And honestly, this is, I think, where the physical comes in. Part of getting old is experiencing physical pain, which, if dealt with rightly, matures us. I think, I think God builds maturity into um, our very lifespan. It, it, it's like a, uh, it, I, I would say that it's, um, what's Mahaney say that I think is really good? He says that, um, that some people are given the test of prosperity, mm. give glory to God or give glory to themselves. And some people are given the test of suffering and that the test of suffering is whether you react, um, the way that, um, wax reacts to a candle or clay reacts to a candle. You melt. Yeah. You're, you hum, you're humbled. All that older people who were softened and exuded what you spoke about earlier of the love of Jesus. I, I think of a man um, who's, who's been a mentor to me, um, actually my brother-in-law's father, um, who every opportunity I get, I sit down with him. And um, we wouldn't agree on every doctrinal point, but we have a, a deep, abiding friendship, a great respect, especially me for him. And um, he has suffered uh, mightily, and he is um, softened and seasoned and wise because of it. Mm. And and we've also, I'm sure, older people um, that are bitter that believe that God has given them a raw deal in life, that they, they served faithfully. Um, they, they did the right things. And, and now what has God given them? He's given them, um, a, uh, a husband with Alzheimer's. He's a wife that, that, that left at 60 and they have 20 years by themselves and they, they react like the clay instead of like the wax. Hmm. And um, and I think that's always the challenge, no, no matter what the kind of suffering is, whether it's physical or whether it's relational or whether it's in leadership. I think about Timothy. I'm going to go back and read what you said. I'd forgotten that line about Timothy because uh, Timothy, I bet you, if you you read First and Second Timothy and you try and figure out in the background what in the world was going on in the mess in Ephesus that Paul sent <laughs> there, you can bet that some of his suffering was at the hands of false teachers in the church, of people that didn't want to follow him because he was young, you know his suffering was relational and leadership related, which is a lot of the suffering that pastors and elders and deacons and other church leaders, that's some of their suffering is just with trying to lead. And, um, and it's significant, but it, it, what effect is it having? How does it, 
how does it does it harden us or does it soften us? Does it burn us out? Does it make us more useful? Does it make us more patient? Do we see ourselves better when we see when we're sinned against and we really have to ponder um, our own sin and and really take the log out of our own or out of our own eye before we try and take the speck out of other people? Do we really see it that way? Is that what suffering's doing? Or is it making us hard? Hmm. The uh, I want to read two quotes. Can I read two quotes? Sure. Uh, the first is by A. W. Pink, and it's on contentment, mm. which is which is really the issue we're addressing here. We're we're talking about suffering, but we're talking about contentment in suffering. Uh, what what we would call you know, the joy the joy that we read in James that consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I would call that a serious joy. That's mm. not, that's not, you know, I'm so glad that I'm dying today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, it's a serious joy. It's a, I know that Jesus is holding me right now. Mm. I know that God's hand is upon me. I don't question his sovereignty, even as I go through this. Um, this is what Pink says. He says, discontent, though few appear to realize it, is sinful. It is a grievous offense against the Most High. It is, and this is, this is where he goes. Notice how he goes to, when we are discontent, when we don't allow our suffering to, to melt us, to humble us before God, but we allow it to harden us, uh, that root of bitterness to spring up. Notice what he says here, how this says something to the world, whether we're, to use your analogy, whether we're wax or clay. This says something to the world about who God is. He says, a few appear to realize that discontentment is sinful. It is a grievous offense against the Most High. It is an impugning of his wisdom, a denial of his goodness, a rising up of my will against his. To murmur at our lot is to take issue with God's sovereignty. It is to, uh, quarreling is uh, to take issue with his providence. And all of these are to be guilty of high treason against the king of the universe. Since God orders all the circumstances of human life, every person ought to be entirely satisfied with the state and situation in which he is placed. You're going to link that, aren't you? <laughs> I should, shouldn't I? Isn't that a great quote? Things works are available online, so you should be able to find it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can. I'll, I'll pull it. That's okay. Great... Now, that's pink. Mm-hmm. But pink goes on. Okay. Uh, but I'm not going to read the next pink quote. I have to read Jeremiah Burroughs first. Okay. Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, a great Puritan, he says, You worship God more by contentment than when you hear a sermon or spend half an hour or an hour in prayer or when you come to receive a sacrament. Now, this is this is a podcast where we promote the ordinary means. Absolutely. Jeremiah Burroughs says, you worship God more than by contentment than by the ordinary means of grace. Then he explains. He says, because the ordinary means of grace, these are only external acts of worship. But contentment is the soul's worship. It is to subject itself to God by being pleased with what God does. 
Now, here's Pink. Pink says the same thing. He says, contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is even now working all things together for my ultimate good. Mm. That's good. The Burroughs book, by the way, and Sean will link the Burroughs book. Well, you should link the link the Great Pubs one too. But the Jeremy um, yeah. Burroughs's Jewel um, Christian Contentment, which is uh, Burroughs is not the hardest Puritan to read, but it, it's a it's a challenging read. But Great Publications in the UK has um, short adapted and modernized language the language um, into a book called Learning to Be Happy, which would be very helpful for perhaps many of our listeners to uh, to take in. Who did that? Uh, Grace Publications. Huh. Okay. okay, I hadn't heard about that. So Puritan titles that they've uh, that they've refashioned uh, very helpfully, made more accessible to, to modern readers. Um, I think it's, it, I think it very much is about contentment. I, I have a quote on my screensaver uh, that guy brought into my life about six months ago. It's um, as we'll talk about Tim Keller, who's a minister in our denomination, and he's uh, has a quote about anxiety. Uh, that I ran into about six or eight months ago. Um, he says, uh, anxiety takes a lot of pride. Uh, I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. <laughs> and um, uh, that quote is, uh, I'll say it again, um, anxiety takes a lot of pride. I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. Uh, that quote's been very interesting uh, because although uh, we might not uh, at the outset link uh, anxiety and discontent uh, immediately or fear or worry, um, uh, they have their roots, all have their roots in me thinking, proud, I know how my life should go. Um, I, I should not have shingles right now. This this is making me utterly unproductive. And um, there's lots of things that I, that I would like to do right now. That's my temptation. Instead of looking at it and saying, as I'm seeking for the Lord, as I pray and as I think some on the scriptures about suffering, um, what opportunity is there? Because I have shingles. Um, you listener would not be listening to a podcast about suffering. We would not be doing this podcast if I didn't have shingles. It wouldn't occur to me to suggest it to Jean. And so even in that sense of if you've been even a little God be praised that I had shingles. And um, that's we would do well to think more like that. We're very shallow. We're very distrustful of God. We don't actually live out practically that Romans 8.28. I just did a funeral on Sunday of a lady who, who uh, that was her favorite verse. And the way I like to describe how Romans 8.28 can be true um, is that God is this one who's meticulously the providential ruler of everything. And he's meticulous in detail. Meticulous in the way that um, a tapestry is put together. But if you're familiar with a tapestry, it's incredibly intricate. You look at the front of it, it's just an absolute wonder how it's put together. But you flip it over, what a mess. 
And we live, we live on the backside most of the time. And we only get to flip it over in retrospect and say, oh, that was beautiful. But we live on the backside of the tapestry most of the time where, where, it's, where it's ugly. And we have to trust that there's a father who knows what he's doing, who's putting the front side together in a way that's beautiful for his glory and our good and the extension of his kingdom. In the hands of God, suffering is beautiful. Yeah, Absolutely. Now we just have to get from saying that to living that, and that we can only do that by grace. Absolutely. Well, and I think we do well. And, and this, this is what I'm going to say next. I don't mean to sound trite at all. Uh, I don't mean it tritely, and I don't live it tritely. Um, but reading um, David's Psalms where he's suffering. Um, where people are lamenting in scripture. Um, I remember one of Sean and I's professors uh, was a dour Scotsman um, staying in a class that, that on the wisdom literature uh, that Americans don't know how to lament. And we don't. We, we skip over lamentations. We go, Jeremiah, come on, you're crying. Get over it. Could you get happy again, please? <laughs> he, needs to be, he needs to think more positively. Yeah, yes, he needs the power of positive thinking, clearly. But on the one hand, it's only when we actually lament and we say things are not the way they're supposed to be. My, my body is not supposed to hurt like this. This is not the way that bodies were made. Bodies were made to be perfect and to be pain-free. That's why they'll be that way in the new heavens and the new earth. But the joy in the midst of that, of clearly looking at grief and suffering and calling it what it is. James doesn't say, it's not suffering, it's an illusion. We're, we're not... We're not Hindus. We're not Buddhists. We look at it and we say, it is suffering. But we're not people who grieve without hope. We're people who grieve with hope. And that's the only key that you can have is those kinds of verses. We don't talk about those much. But but we we ought to. We ought to a lot more. And, And to really try and think through the life of Jesus uh, we've been going through in our Sunday school class in our ladies Bible study, Paul Miller's Love Walked Among Us, which is a wonderful wonderful book, but probably none of you should read it because it'll ruin your life um, <laughs> it'll ruin your life in all the best ways like it has mine because um, when you look at Jesus and you look at what he went through, you want to talk about leadership angst you want to talk about relational suffering you talk about uh, rejection, betrayal you have a Savior who understands all of this. Who suffered in all the ways that you have. And and to me, suffering is the only thing that can push you to think about Jesus that way and rejoice in a way in Jesus that is that is manifestly deeper than you've probably ever rejoiced before. And that's where you can have a joy that's that's sober. It's a joy it, it despite suffering, not ignoring it, but despite it, mm. it's a with hope. That kind of thing. Hmm. Hmm. We have a God we can rest in, don't we? Mm-hmm. Indeed. And I, I think if we if we've given our listeners anything, uh, that's my prayer: is that God is bigger in their eyes because they've listen to this podcast this month. So, 
Well, thank you for uh, being with us for this uh, this better part of an hour. And uh, we uh, pray that the Lord would richly bless you as you pursue him, as you pursue contentment in him, as you take up your cross and suffer for him, as you suffer just as a part of being in this world, um, yet do it knowing uh, that your God is greater. Uh, may the Lord richly bless you through his ordinary means. Mm-hmm.